Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Melissa Harris-Perry, and you're with The Takeaway. Like so many others, my huge extended family packed ourselves tightly around the TV on Sunday night to watch the Super Bowl. And the closely contested game did not disappoint, leaving us all leaning in right down to the final seconds. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 50. But for some of us, the main event was the 13-minute 12 song Crimson and Cream halftime comeback concert of the incomparable Barbados-born superstar, Rihanna. And y'all, she came to work. Now that little clip is from the Fox NFL Super Bowl halftime show on Sunday. And after five years away, plenty of us were hoping Rihanna's halftime performance signaled a new album would drop this week. Instead, she dropped the mic with a gravity-defying performance that simultaneously announced she's expecting baby number two. Debuting in the Daily Show host chair, Sarah Silverman caught the vibe on Monday night. Seriously, did you see that pregnant women? Did you see it? Rihanna just did a Super Bowl halftime show while pregnant. And you want my seat on the subway? Not anymore, Toast. No way. The bar has been raised, so hold it. You see, that is the kind of maternal power we love to celebrate. A pregnant Cardi B wrapped in a skin-tight white dress delivering Be Careful on SNL in 2018. A golden, bejeweled Beyonce serving sexy mama at the 2017 Grammys while expecting twins. Alicia Keys embracing her bump at the 2014 MTV European Music Video Awards less than a month before welcoming her second child. But what doesn't grab headlines? the mom with swollen ankles and rising blood pressure, who's trying to squeeze out just one more week of work before she goes into labor, knowing there'll be no income coming in for at least a month. Or the new mom desperately trying to express breast milk in the public stall of a fast food restaurant during her 15-minute break, just two weeks after giving birth. Or the new dad who falls asleep at the wheel, exhausted after his feverish little one was up the night before. For millions of Americans without paid family leave, there is no halftime, no rest, and little healing. With work, 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 it's just simply unrelenting. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the Family Medical and Leave Act, sometimes called FMLA. President Clinton signed it into law in 1993, and the legislation allows up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave for qualifying employees. That's so they can recover from major illness or childbirth or take care of sick or new family members. It was a groundbreaking achievement for its time, but it is severely limited. According to a Labor Department survey, about 44% of workers aren't even eligible for FMLA leave because they work for small employers who are exempt from the law where they just don't even work enough hours to qualify. 
And some people cannot afford to take unpaid leave from work. Now, Democratic lawmakers are renewing their push to make paid family leave federal policy. On February 1st, Representative Rosa DeLora and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand introduced the Family Act. And two weeks ago, President Biden announced his recommitment to expanding the federal law to include paid family leave. Folks, this shouldn't be that complicated. It gets down to the word I guess we Irish overuse. It gets down to basic dignity. It's about being a country where women and all people can both work and raise a family. And today, we're taking another step forward. I just signed a presidential memorandum to make sure that the federal government leads the way in supporting workers. With us now is Natasha Perlman, executive editor of Glamour. Natasha, welcome to The Takeaway. Thank you for having me. All right, you all have been doing some reporting on this. Talk to me about why the expansion of FMLA is so important. First of all, the commitment to expanding FMLA shows that the government recognized that what they're providing for women right now is a complete failure. But I think it also signals that they are really committed to paid leave. Right now, as you say, I think paid leave, FMLA is largely inadequate. I think about it as the internet. The internet didn't exist in 1993. The World Wide Web technically didn't exist in 1993 when FMLA was introduced. We're now in 2023. Social media takes over our world. Everything is completely transformed. And yet FMLA has stayed the same. All it does is protect your job unpaid for 12 weeks. And most people, I'd say only 56% of people can access it. It is not acceptable. It is not relevant anymore. It's like the Nokia phone you have in your pocket from 30 years ago that you wouldn't keep today. It doesn't work. Now, Natasha, the story that you all put together, 28 days in the lives of eight women postpartum. I just got to encourage everybody to to go to the Glamour site to see this because it's both a print story, but also includes really painful, poignant, devastating, loving photographs of the reality of what it means to to give birth and, and try to recover Can you talk about some of the experiences of of the women you followed? It was extraordinary. So we, when we cast the eight women, we really tried to find a group of women that represented all the different experiences in the country. First of all, it's incredibly hard to find women who actually had paid leave. And the interesting thing is, when you think about that, the statistics suggest that there are a significant number of women without access to paid leave. And actually, when we tried to cast our women around the country, the majority of them, their husbands had better, or partners, or particularly male partners, had better paid leave access than the women giving birth. And that really is reflective of the statistics around the country, which suggests that the higher earners have paid leave. And of course, the difference in wages, it's often the men, and it's the lowest quarter of earners who have the least access to paid leave. So in fact, that was our biggest challenge at the beginning was finding that big spread of women who have paid leave. Two of our women went back to work within two weeks of giving birth. Karina, after six days, and Shakura within the two weeks. Karina was a self-employed chef. She had two businesses and her husband, Eduardo, had three jobs. He was a music teacher in two schools and also taught privately at home. Despite all of their income coming in, they could really only afford to lose one of Karina's jobs. And that was the restaurant that they ran in her house. So six days after giving birth, she continued her job, which was supplying donuts to this brilliant local cafe. But that meant that she was up midnight till 7 a.m. 
four nights a week baking because they all had to be fresh to be delivered at 7.30 in the morning. And every single one of those hours was hours where she should have been resting while her baby was asleep. And I remember she sent me in a photo that her husband had taken of her where she had passed out on the floor in the middle of the day because she was so physically tired. And even though adrenaline was carrying her through, and I remember I interviewed the women every four or five days for 28 days. And every time I spoke to her in the middle of it, she was like, I am fine. I can do this. I have to do this. I'm feeling great. And at the end of the project, when I spoke to her again, when we kept doing our wrap up calls, she said, I can never do this again. I don't know if I can ever have another child if I have to do it this way. It was too much. And I think this is the situation she's in. She explored buying herself her own medical insurance, but she said it was costing her more to pay for this as a self-employee, you know, as a business owner, than it was to simply go back to work for her. And I think that's the real challenge that we have without a national program is that even if you potentially have the money to, you know, you are running your own business, you cannot afford to kind of pay yourself to take the break. And it's the same with people who, you know, one of our nurses, Stephanie, she was a single mother. She'd done it by choice. She was really incredible, so empowered by her choices. And yet she could not afford, she didn't have enough paid leave. She in fact, she had almost none with her job. She had a hundred hours of holiday pay and she was going into debt. I remember speaking to her as the weeks were going on. She said, Natasha, you know, I'm really scared now because I'd wanted to take 12 weeks and I'm a neonatal nurse. I know how important it is, but I'm not being paid. And my sick pay that was brief is not covering my mortgage. And I'm going into all my debt. I'm going into all of my savings are being eaten up. And this is the reality of women. So even if you want to take it unpaid, it's not unpaid, it is actually debt. And that is why we wanted to follow these women. And I think it's such an unseen period, that 28 days postpartum. And we actually asked them to keep voice notes. We, they took videos, we filmed them. So you can hear their voices when you go to the piece. It is currently 3.16 in the morning had some frustration with breastfeeding, super sore and feeling defeated. Breastfeeding has always been a challenge for me. And tonight I just could not get baby to latch. I was crying and he was crying. I decided that I am going to be pumping at least from now on to give myself some relief. It's been a pretty tough journey for me. Yesterday was really hard. I found myself breaking down and crying a lot. Thank God for my husband being so supportive. They tell you about what happens, you know, when you've got a child in the NICU and what happens when you can't breastfeed and what happens when you are stuck in hospital for nine days, like Abby, who also had no paid leave and was completely worried in those first few days that her hospital bills were so high that she would never be able to take the six months unpaid that she'd saved for. And in fact, she couldn't. All right, we're talking FMLA with Natasha Perlman, Glamour's executive editor. And we're right back, right after this. About 600,000 people go missing every year in the U.S., prompting family members to become amateur detectives. On the trail of one missing person is journalist Tanya Mosley. Why do you think you hesitated when we first met in telling me the full details about your mother's disappearance? It's heartbreaking. I didn't want to break your heart. I'm Kai Wright. Tanya Mosley joins me next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with Glamour's executive editor, Natasha Perlman. 
and we're talking about the FMLA. Obviously, this reporting, these realities are now happening in the context of a post-Roe v. Wade world where many people will have, these are all people who wanted these pregnancies, wanted to go forward, but there are also fewer choices for so many millions um, of women across the country. I'm wondering if, as painful as it may be, there may be a capacity to build bipartisan support for paid family leave in a context where having children may become a more almost required uh, reality for so many. I have made that point (laughs) to some of the Republican teams I have been speaking to about this. And I say this and I don't disagree with you. If we are going to be living in a world where women really are given very little choice about whether to have a child or not, it's outrageous to me that we wouldn't support it. And I do think that that is an argument. It's not a trade-off. It's not a, oh, well, we'll sacrifice Roe and we'll take family leave. But if you are really, really saying to women, we are not willing to give you the choice about whether to have a family or not, and we are also taking away the ability for you to care for that child, that suddenly becomes a very difficult argument for those who object to the right for women's abortion to object to that. Because I think that it is very hard for the Republic, you know, for those people who may be on both sides of the part, you know, both sides of the aisle who object to abortion to object to supporting the growth of a family. And I am hopeful that there really feels like there is momentum behind it. There is the launch of the bipartisan working group on paid leave, which is pretty groundbreaking. And I think that signals a real commitment. Natasha Perlman is Glamour's executive editor. Natasha, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.